So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Okay, so I wanna talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pinks, greens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like, I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them, the Fry family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic non-stick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, Once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. Hi guys, I'm Emma. I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. This Dorit stuff is absolutely insane. It is absolutely tragic and terrible, and I just cannot imagine what's going through her head right now. No, I mean, the last time that I remember feeling like this about any sort of celebrity-type robbery is when it happened to Kim in Paris, because so many times when we hear about these things, and it's always awful, like even I think about Kyle, that was so terrible and intrusive, and not only were her belonging stolen, but also, you know, sentimental things from her mom. But this was something where she actually had an encounter with the robbers. And they said apparently that they were going to kill her. There are so many parallels to Kim's robbery, but I just, I really hope she's doing okay. And the fact that her kids were home just makes it that much more scary. Yeah. I mean, by the time that this episode comes out, I'm not sure what more will have been revealed. So I apologize if this is really repetitive or if something has changed, but I want to do a quick rundown of what we know so far. Basically, she was in London with PK for her nephew's wedding on Tuesday night. PK stayed in London. She apparently came home. She was sleeping on the night of Wednesday, October 27th. And around 11 p.m., apparently three men broke into her home. They broke in through the kids' classroom area She woke up to them at the foot of her bed, held her at gunpoint, said they were going to kill her. She apparently was pleading with them saying, I'm a mother, you know, please do not hurt me. Please do not hurt my children. Apparently they did not go into either of the children's rooms. 
held her at gunpoint, stole a bunch of stuff. We don't know yet what was stolen and then left. And apparently, according to what's being reported right now, she was not physically hurt. I mean, this was beyond traumatizing, but luckily, apparently she's okay. We know that right after they left, she called PK and the police. He, from at the time we're recording this, is on his way back from London. And the only other thing we saw in terms of any sort of interaction is Kyle... Rinna and Erica going to her home today, I guess, you know, to be with her, of course. Everything about this is also so eerie, given that last night during the reunion, this was a full conversation, like not just about stuff, but literally about being robbed and Kyle's robbery and Andy saying that he texted Rinna, like, you know, make sure you move that stuff out of the garage. Like you don't want to become a target. And then for this to happen the next day, I mean, it's so chilling. And also, I feel like I've been in her house. When you watch a housewife, especially this season where so much of the filming was done within their homes and she hosted an event in her home, and I can picture it. And I can even picture her kids' like playroom classroom that they had set up downstairs. I mean, it's absolutely terrifying. No, it is so eerie when you think about it, specifically as it applies to the reunion, because when you think about it, the reunion came out at 8 p.m. on Wednesday night. This apparently happened at 11 p.m. And when you think about some of the subject matter that they were discussing, like it really just makes you think on a little bit more of a big scale for a second. How is this going to work? Because part of the beauty of Housewives and reality television, but specifically Housewives, when part of it is showing the extravagance of your life, you know, we're getting into really scary territory here. And I don't know how you make that work going forward because I completely could understand people's hesitancy now. Completely. And to show off your stuff as much fun as it may be becomes a safety concern. And I think Kim became sort of the face of that after her robbery in Paris. I mean, I saw people posting today about Courtney posting her huge ring, like, wouldn't you be a little nervous given what happened to Kim and how that was the target of her robbery? And especially with reality TV, when you're seeing inside their homes and outside their homes, it gets even closer than just another celebrity. So I don't know if this will give reality stars or future reality stars or other housewives maybe like a wake-up call or a little bit of like light a fire under their ass to really get on their security shit. But I feel like it, it definitely should because this is real. Like that bling ring stuff is still going on in a way bigger way. I know. And it's terrifying. And also, you know, I, I find myself being cautious, not only on the podcast, like literally when you and I were talking about this 10 minutes ago of not wanting to have any sort of like air in our voices of judgment or of blame, because think about it. So much of what we celebrate Dorit for is her over the top fashion. And it's one of the things that makes her such an iconic housewife. And then I saw people already on Twitter kind of turning that against her of like, well, what did you expect? You know, that's not fair. People don't expect that this is going to happen to them. I do think there's something to be said, though, for just an increase in a security system, really for peace of mind more than anything. I know. And I hate to keep bringing it back to Kim. It's just the parallels are there. Everyone after was saying, well, what do you expect? You're posting your huge diamond ring on Snapchat. I mean, listen, there's definitely a happy medium, but you have beautiful things and you have amazing clothes and shoes and bags and that's who you are. And you're on a show where this is like part of who you are. It, it's not your fault. 
that that's, I guess that's what I want to clarify. It's not her fault to think about. Yes. I have to imagine that, you know, being on the show, of course, made her more of a target specifically with what she shows off. But I don't like that narrative that sometimes arises in these tragedies of like, well, should have known better. It's like, also people shouldn't do this. Right. Like she wasn't asking for it. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's just really scary. I mean, I cannot imagine take everything else aside. Her kids were in the house. That to me makes it as if it's not already bad, that makes it a thousand times worse. And what must have been going through her head where not only is her life in danger, but her two little kids are in the other room. Also, not to bring it back to this, because this is clearly the least important out of everything going on here, but they are filming right now. And we just saw those photos of yesterday of Garcelle and Erica working out together. And so when you saw the video, I think it was from Access Hollywood of Kyle and Rina and Erica going into Dorit's house, there were cameras there, but I don't think those were Beverly Hills cameras. I think that they were literally just like page six and other paparazzi. But, you know, of course, after you process the trauma of this, you think for a second, is this something that she's going to discuss? You know, how is this going to impact her? I, I can't even imagine getting out of bed the next day after this. I wonder if it will be a played out situation where we see like, you know, one day after filming began, Dorit's house is broken into and we get to see all their reactions and hear it from her. But I honestly wouldn't be shocked if she pulls out of the season. To be clear, I don't think that's going to happen, but I also would not be the slightest bit surprised and I would understand it completely. Like this is, I have to imagine one of the most traumatizing things a human being can go through. And I completely get if, you know, having your life documented right after is just not in the cards for you. And also not just having it documented, but then having to what, play along and go on like a girl's trip and go whatever, ice skating for like the group activity and just act like everything's fine. It's a lot to handle. And it almost makes more sense because the season is just starting out. Like I could envision her doing like one confessional talking about it and the women all reacting. And then her saying like, I just need to be with my family. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't think that would happen, but I would not be surprised also because, you know, the girl's trip is kind of a great example. I don't foresee her feeling comfortable leaving the house, you know, alone, like leaving her kids. I just could, I just... I don't know, maybe I'm just projecting, but I just feel like that trauma is so deep. Yeah. I want to quickly talk about the Dana Wilkie of it all, which by the time that this comes out, more things could have come out about this. But just to kind of give everybody the update of what's going on here. First of all, Dana Wilkie, for anybody unfamiliar, was a season two friend of Beverly Hills. She was also featured on season one and season three. And most recently, you may recognize her from the Housewife and the Hustler documentary, where she and people of the likes of Danielle Staub were kind of commentating on the situation. Um, I think most of you will remember her by her $25,000 sunglasses. That's pretty much her claim to fame. And just from what I've seen over like the last couple of years, she has really turned herself into a housewife sort of gossip investigator account is how I would describe it. And she kind of goes in on Instagram and on her podcast just about everything and live tweets the shows. So that's that's Dana Wilkie. So the reason that she's kind of mentioned in all of this is because a few days ago, she posted a screenshot of a deposition on her Instagram. And in it, it had the name of the Kemsley's LLC, which is named after their home address. It didn't have the address, but it was apparently the street name. And PK had then, you know, posted that responding, basically saying, this means nothing. But her caption was something a little bit cryptic. It wrote, guess why I'm posting this question mark, which 
you know, a lot of people thought was basically a way for her to prove that the Kemsleys were involved with some sort of fraud. But anyway, now today, Teddy commented on the post, which has now been deleted and wrote, I hope you sleep really well tonight. You put her and her kids in danger by posting this. Disgusting. Again, I don't know if any of this can be proven or has been proven, but apparently her posting that address relatively publicly could have fueled this fire. I don't know what to think. I think until we hear it for certain or if they'll ever know for certain, we can't say that this was directly the cause, but I do think having her address on a public platform like Instagram and like a page like that definitely didn't help. And two days before, it just feels like, you know, this could have maybe not created the issue, but definitely didn't help it. Let me tell you one thing, whether or not this had anything to do with the tragedy that occurred with Dorit, factually or not, it's not a good look for her. It really puts into perspective, like, yes, you can show receipts and you can say whatever you want and do as much digging as you want, but there is a line. And when personal safety and privacy comes into play, it's just, it's so wrong. Yeah. I just, there's nothing really, you know, to say on this situation because I don't think words can really do it justice, but obviously we're thinking of Dorit and her entire family. And I feel so fucking terrible that she had to go through this. And I really do hope that in some way this can help bring some sort of positive change to just the level of security that these reality figures have. Because I think that at this point, I think it's like, if you want to share your life in the way that they do, this has to come with a job. And honestly, this may be really crazy because I know the cost of security is absolutely monumental, but I would not be surprised if like come two seasons from now, it's worked into the contract with Bravo that fine, you want me to show my extravagant lifestyle? I need X amount of money devoted to security. I don't know. It has to be, but I'm just thinking about her so much. Yeah, me too. Also, I want to just talk about the Atlanta news that came out this week because holy shit, Sheree is coming back. Sheree is coming back. Marlo Hampton got her peach. Finally. Thank God. Praise the Lord, honestly. Literally praise the Lord. This is going to be a great season. I feel good. I like when they bring back old housewives. I like when it feels like new and it's going to be good. I have hope. Even though we lost Portia and Cynthia, I think it's going to be okay. And the trailer for Portia's new show dropped, which obviously looks amazing. Yes. And the new housewife for Atlanta is a woman by the name of Sonia Richards Ross. She's a track Olympics medalist. So it's going to be Candy, Kenya, Drew, Sonia, and then Sheree and Marlowe, which, I mean, you know how we felt about Marlowe getting this peach. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm very excited. Okay. I'm not saying we have to do a full recap, but I am fucking obsessed with Winterhouse, Isabel. Wait, we thought we were obsessed last week. Then Lindsay comes to town and I am literally was speechless. Like, what a good episode. I did not see that coming, but I also did see it coming. But just her bluntness and the whole dynamic of the house right now, like, this is what you sign up for. And I was thinking about it because the reason that Summer House and now Winter House are such a unique concept is they're not like singles all put in a house looking to hook up, which I think is kind of the common format these days. Like, it is kind of funny, you know, you have Amanda and Kyle who are basically a married couple sleeping downstairs, but they still bring so much to the show because it's not just about hooking up and sex. So now to have all these dynamics thrown in where Amanda and Paige are best friends and Paige and Sierra and Sierra and Lindsay have history, but now Austin and Lindsay are friends. Like the dynamics right now are just on point because everything could change in the drop of a hat. It's re- it really is true. I I 
love this. I'm obsessed with the energy. I'm obsessed with the chaos of it all. I also think they're really bringing together like some of the best figures that Bravo has. Like Craig and Austin together is magic. And then you have Paige and Sierra together. That's magic. Add Amanda in the mix. Like, does Kyle annoy me? Absolutely. Do I love him bickering with Amanda? Also, absolutely. Lindsay, whether you like Lindsay or not, you cannot debate that she is a fucking phenomenal reality television character. Like, she comes into that show, and within 15 minutes, the house is upside down. It's just, it's really, really good. And we thought the cast was already having such a great dynamic and chemistry last week. And we're like, oh, yeah, Lindsay's coming. Like, that's going to be great. But I was not expecting day one to be just like this. I want to talk about the specifics for a second because the Lindsay Austin thing, it's like, I don't think either of them are being delusional necessarily. Like I very much understand if I'm Lindsay, we have this history, we have this very solid friendship. We now found out that they have hooked up. He's clearly flirty with her. Like she's not reading the situation wrong. I just don't think that Austin was expecting to connect with Sierra in the way that he did. Obviously you can tell that that's where his mind kind of is. And it was just so awkward because I I like felt for Lindsay in a way because she wasn't expecting it, but I also felt for Sierra because she has this great thing going. And then Lindsay kind of comes in like, you know, a bull in a china shop. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know what I was expecting. I felt like when we were introduced to how kind of, quote, close Austin and Lindsay are, I felt like, okay, there's got to be something maybe from one side, maybe from both sides. But the way that their relationship was also presented seemed very... I don't know, like friend zoned because it was like very much revolving around them talking about their other relationships. And then as soon as I saw them physically together and then also they dropped the bomb that they had slept together, I was like, okay, this is going in a completely different direction. Don't you sometimes feel that with these types of reality shows, it's so hyped up by one side and you get there and you're like, oh my God, they're going to cringe watching this because they are reading the situation totally wrong. Like, yeah. Yes, obviously Austin was significantly more into Sierra, but I didn't feel like Lindsay was so reading the room wrong. Like Austin has given her a lot to feel this way. No, I don't think she was at all. And I still don't think she is. Also, they've been there, what, a couple of days? Like how is she supposed to know that he's all of a sudden gotten to this little thing with Sierra? And by the way, up until this point, unless there's more we haven't seen, they just had one makeout in the hot tub. And otherwise, it's just been flirty, which Austin in nature is flirty. So it's not like she came in and was expecting something and Austin had a whole girlfriend, you know? I know. But also if I'm Sierra, and she handled it beautifully just because that's the way that she handles things. But if I was Sierra, I would be you know, a little bit pissed, which she is, you know, I'd kind of be like, wait a second, you're killing my vibe here. Like, I didn't know about this, you know, here I am just having fun. And I think also for Austin, it's kind of like, in this weird way, Lindsay's being a little bit of a cock lock, even though she's, I mean, I was gonna say she's not trying to, but she is kind of trying to, I don't know, it's just bizarre. And also, when you think about Sierra and Lindsay's dynamic, it's like, they know each other, but they haven't been necessarily the closest. And then Paige and Sierra are really close and like how Amanda mixes into all of that. And it's just, it's sort of like Sierra and Lindsay have never interacted with Austin there. They've both interacted like in twos, but it's just, it's, I really am curious to see what happens. I really am. I know. I, I am obsessed with this also. Like, doesn't it contextualize those comments from earlier this year when Austin and Sierra were being flirty on social? Yeah. I mean, I loved every second of it. So I was hoping this would happen. I know. I'm so into it. Also, like, <laughs> I know I said this last week, but on actual Southern Charm, you and I were pretty down on Austin. 
And then I, I literally Snapchatted you after watching it or mid watching it. I was like, why am I in love with him? And is it just because he's six three? It's not just because he's six three. I'm I'm standing by my point from last week. In a different setting, he is so much more confident. We don't have Madison like looking down on him and treating him like she's his mom. And he is just flourishing and he's around people who are like, I don't know, more like him, who respect him. I think him and Craig have such a nice friendship. I, I, I'm into him. I, I'm not even going to lie. I think I this know. is like the, his best self. Oh, it's definitely his best self. And I love his flirtation with Sierra. Wait, the other thing that I want to say, just going back for a second, is like, if you're a Lindsay, how do you come back from an I'm in love with you? Like, you can't no. just take that back. So even if he continues to hook up with Sierra, which it looks like it does, and I pray that that's what happens, like, that's still there. It's not like that conversation just completely, you know, disappears from the universe. And I know people could argue, oh, she was drunk, you know, she was being dramatic, but that felt like a not drunk. That was the definition of drunk words are sober thoughts right there. You could tell that had been festering and that she actually meant it in somewhat of a deep way and that it wasn't just her spewing shit while she was drunk. Totally. I'll say that my hope for this is that she doesn't take out her frustration on Sierra because Sierra did 0.0 things wrong. Like she literally was just having fun, which is exactly the goal of the show. I know. And the preview when Austin says to her, like, I viewed you more like a sister. It's a fucking bullet. Bullet. I have a text I want to read from a friend's friend. Her name is Sam. So Sam, you didn't send this to me, but I just want to read it because I think it's genius. She says, Watching Winterhouse, I feel like I'm watching White Lotus, like how it opens with a casket being transported, like, you know, someone is going to die, but like how I feel with Winterhouse is I know Paige and Craig get together, but like how? Yes. Yes. Because it's like we know the outcome and now here we are watching them interacting in a house for two weeks and I just keep watching them like, how did we get to where we are today where they're fully dating and like going to a baseball game and his hand is in her thigh? Right. And also, and his hand is in her thigh. Yes. <laughs> Wait, but also, like, obviously, Paige was so smitten with this guy, Andrea, which I, you know, get. He's smooth and he's hot and his accent is beautiful and all of those things. But I feel like in the preview for next week, we started to see that she was kind of losing it for him. Like, that only is attractive for so long. You know, the, the, overwhelming romance that starts to feel a little bit cheesy. Cause once you find out he's doing that with other women, you lose it. Whereas Craig, one, he's in a relationship right now or at this time that this show was being filmed. So nothing was happening at the moment, but also he's a little bit more laid back. He's not coming on as strong. He's not bringing her coffee in bed every morning yet. He actually may be a little bit more sincere in his approach because as we saw from the preview, like it's sweet if he's just doing this with Paige, but if he's doing it with multiple other women, it's not going to last. Right. It's true. It's just, I don't know. I literally love the show and I knew we'd love it, but I love it even more than I thought possible. It's phenomenal. And I am, I'm just in heaven. So I, I'm just happy it exists. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. 
and it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I want to start off this Beverly Hills Part 3 reunion just by saying this to me so far has felt like the weakest part. I loved it. I was enjoying it. I was laughing. But in terms of like what I was taking notes on and intense questions and answers, I felt like it was definitely lacking. Like I love a fashion montage more than the next person, but it did feel like, could this reunion have been three parts? I think it could have. I know you hate when I do this because you feel like I'm (laughs) telling the listener something that like they shouldn't know or that it'll make it flow less. But let's just be honest. We recorded Salt Lake City and Potomac sections earlier in the week so we could get the episode out earlier. And I feel like we kind of started both of those segments by saying the same thing of like really fun episode to watch, not the best episode to necessarily have a podcast about because there isn't so much analysis. No. And I was expecting that our bulk of our recap this week would be Beverly Hills just naturally. I also am still really intrigued by the decision to sort of chop up this Erica narrative. I feel like each part so far, we've gotten maybe like 10 or 15 minutes solely focused on asking Erica questions. A lot of them feel a little bit repetitive. And I don't know if that's just because I have a week in between watching them or if they are just repetitive in nature. I do wish, like we had predicted, that they sort of got everything maybe out of the way and softly led into the Erica thing. And then, like I thought they were going to do with the Andy saying, you know, we're going to crank up the fire, really just straightforward, like, here are all the questions. Because now I feel like, you know, it's a little bit chopped up between Kathy's hunky-dory section and a part about their fashion choices for the season. Yeah, the flow is a little bit off. And I honestly don't remember what I said last week. I totally last week could have said that I enjoyed Erica being sprinkled in and I'm contradicting myself. But my executive decision now after watching it is that I agree with you. I wish there was one full part devoted to a full-blown Q&A, ask her everything, let's get it all out there because I just think it would be simpler to watch. People may disagree. Like I think that's just my opinion after being three parts in. Maybe just to make each episode more interesting and give the people what they want because listen, at the end of the day, we all are really just tuning in to hear what Erica is going to say next at the end of it. But yeah, that's just my takeaway. And I, I mean, listen, I loved it. I loved it more than anybody, but we still have a fourth part. And I just, I can't believe this reunion is still going on. We literally got a full month of a, a Beverly Hills reunion. Right. And to be very clear, I am not complaining. I'm just a little bit surprised. Yeah, me too. You know, obviously my overwhelming emotion regarding the Kyle and Kathy thing is just, I am so happy that they're good. Like, I really do think that's the greatest gift that you can have in any sort of a familial relationship, specifically with a sister. But I can't help but feel like a lingering sense of frustration that Kyle may not feel like this is maybe just a me thing. She's probably worked past it of like, I can't believe there was this whole thing and you didn't even fucking watch it. Like I understand not being able to watch it. I totally do. I lost my mom. I get it. I'm just saying like, it feels like a little unfair. And I think if I was Kyle, I would be a little bit more pissed about that part of it than she was. That's what I feel. And I think even Andy, when he says to her, like, you didn't even watch one episode, like after all this upset, you only saw the trailer. And 
it is also more clear to me now how sensitive Kathy is with anything concerning her mom. It wasn't about the content of the show as much as Kyle could say at nauseam. You know, it's not really about her. It's based off her. I'd never do anything that put our mom or our family in a bad light. It wasn't even about that. Like Kathy said, she can't even speak to her mom's friends. It's too upsetting to her. So that context is important. But yeah, I agree. I'd be so frustrated. Did you also get the sense though as Andy asked, and even though Kyle's answers seemed positive, I don't feel like things between her and Kim are back to where they were in the best of times. You're saying with Kyle and Kim, right? Yes, with Kyle and Kim. I think Kathy and Kim have fought, but way less than Kyle has with both of them. That's just my sense in terms of the dynamic. Yes, I think things are fine. Like I definitely think they're civil. They're talking, they're going to the same events for sure. I don't think they're where Kyle would necessarily love for them to be. It just seems like when two of them are good, two of them have to not be good. It just, I don't know, it's kind of the pattern of them. And I would just love more than anything to see all three of them in a good place. And I think really their saving grace, and even Kyle said, is that all of their kids are so close between all three sisters. And that sort of is the connection that keeps them together, even when they aren't technically talking. Totally. I also just want to make something abundantly clear about that point from earlier. Like, I really fucking get it being too hard for Kathy. I don't judge that. I know what that's like. I don't... I have some of my mom's friends that I literally wasn't able to speak to for a year and a half and I adored them. It was just too painful. Like I so understand. I'm just saying if I'm Kyle, I also can understand that frustration. Yes, completely. Okay. I want to talk about the crystal segment because I know that it's not necessarily something we didn't know, but it's just so heartbreaking to hear her talk about it. And it's so fucked up. And like, this is not really ever a place that I come from because I don't, think that two wrongs make a right. But there was a part of me when I was watching this, it was like, fucking release these usernames. Like, who are these people that are saying these disgusting things and who feels as entitled? Because you know, if for even one second, these people thought that it would be public, they wouldn't be doing it. And it's the uh, ability to conceal yourself that fuels so much of this. And it's so upsetting. I was so happy that they did this on the reunion, which has so many viewers and really gets the attention of way more people than I think are online. You know, we feel like everyone's online, but a lot of people aren't. And a lot of people aren't going as deep as you and I are every day seeing so many comments, tweets, comment sections, like the deepest, darkest things. So to bring attention to it on national TV during the reunion and Andy really going in and saying like, this is seriously a bad problem enough for me to make it a section of the reunion was so important, I feel like, because I think a lot of people are completely unaware. I think even the other women on the cast who are on social media are receiving different types of comments and were not as fully, fully, fully aware of what was going on in Crystal's, you know, DMs and comment sections and just how much terrible hate she was really getting. No, it's absolutely unacceptable. It's despicable. I'm, I completely agree with you. It was something that needed to have time devoted to it. And also, you know, I know it's minor and I'm not trying to praise the bare minimum, but I also thought that it was great that on the reunion, not just in an Instagram post, Sutton said, I want to apologize for any part that I played in that. Yeah, me too. I yeah. just loved Crystal's whole explanation too of she wanted to bring Asian representation to the show and the reasons that she was doing it, especially when she brought her dad up, it was heartbreaking also at the same time. But I yeah. just feel really proud of her also. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing to say because it's like somebody is sharing 
such a part of their life that is so horrible. At the same time, though, you're so appreciative of their vulnerability because you do think that it can potentially bring about change, which I think is literally, she said that's the reason that she was doing the show in the first place. Of course, she wasn't doing it to get this level of hate, but she did want that representation and she did want to you know, show show a side of things that people need to know about. Completely. Okay. The Erica stuff, I mean, I'm looking at the notes. There's so much here. I know we're not going to go through all of it, but can I get a temperature check about how you felt she came across in this part versus the last one? Because I know that we said last one, I feel like we've been really honest of like, hey, if we're going to be totally honest, I think last part she came across the best she's come across thus far. I feel like this one in terms of like, the eyes of public perception, if I'm going to pretend to uh, channel my inner reality posters account, I feel like the viewers probably responded to her a little bit less this one. What do you think? Oh, I was going to say completely different than last week. Last week, we felt like she was open to answering questions a little bit, I don't know, softer feels like a very big dramatic word, but I did feel like she was softer. And this week, I felt like her barrier was back up. And it's weird because these were all filmed in the same day and also not even in this order necessarily. So it just is interesting to see as the question segments go on and how her feeling is towards them. And also, I guess, based on what questions she's asked, her attitude changes. I had much more negative feeling towards her this week than I did last. Did you see that someone DM'd us and was like, listen, I, you know, I'm not a fan of Erica just as much as the next guy. Like, don't get it twisted. But like, Thanks for treating her like she's a human being, like basically saying that it's become the culture in Bravo that you're not allowed to speak even one remotely positive thing about Erica without like getting your head bitten off, which we've totally experienced. And I was glad to hear someone say that because it's like, I want to be able to evaluate her for all of her negative traits and also then recognize when she is a positive one and not feel like I'm a terrible person for doing so. Like that's so backwards. So I'm glad to hear you, you know, say that as well. Like, okay, she had good moments last week. This one wasn't her best. I also think a big part of that is last week was much more focused on her marriage and her the cheating and her relationship and nothing really to do not nothing obviously it all has to do with it but much more about like her personal life and not so much these cases and victims and this week it was way more about the terrible things that she's allegedly involved in and it brought you back to like oh shit there are like s- terrible victims in this and not that we've ever forgotten them but now to hear her talk about them and still not understand why people are perceiving like her Instagram post or her attitude about it or her lack of empathy seemingly, it really frustrated me. I want to just quickly talk about the Mauricio, Kyle, Dorit, PK dinner for a second because listen, we said this when it aired. It was phenomenal television. It was hilarious. You could tell they were all stoned having the best time. But also like as a human being, if you're Erica, it's not easy to watch. It just isn't. No, I think it also felt like the women are saying one thing to my face and being really supportive, and then this is what's actually going on behind closed doors. Like we said, it felt like an actual peek behind closed doors of what was going on behind the scenes in real-life conversations versus them all just sitting around like, oh, we're here for you. Like, what's going on? You know, I don't want to accuse her of anything. So, of course it hurt. Of course it stings. Of course these women who you think are your friends, and I think they're all still in a great place. I don't think that dinner ruined them forever, but it had to have hurt. Of course. I mean, this is a lot easier once you remember, like if I'm Erica, once I remember like everyone's doing this for the show. In your mind, you can rationalize that they're amping it up a little for entertainment value. And also, if you're Erica, if that's the worst thing that you think is going on in your life, like you really need a reality check. Right. 
I thought that Garcelle asked her a really productive question when she was like, why was it so hard for you to understand us being grouped in? And I understood her response and like, there's nothing that legally ties you guys. And you know, you can't be fearful because you know the truth. And on one hand, it's like, if you hear that statement in a box, you're like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And I understand your frustration. But then when you flip that argument on its head, it's like, but Erica, you're saying that you know the truth, that you know what you were involved in and what you weren't. And look at how upset you are at the picture that people are trying to paint of you. So that argument no longer works when you're seemingly struggling with the exact same thing, even though you know the truth. I think she was saying the truth in terms of you all not being involved in any way. That was my takeaway from it. No, no, no. That was, that 100% was the takeaway. Oh, yeah. I also think it just wasn't fair to like assume like you guys know that you're not involved in any way. How would they know that? They're not lawyers. Like, yeah, they didn't walk into Tom's law firm and steal $5 million from him, but who knows? I mean, especially when you roll back to that deleted scene we saw of Sutton offering her money, of them being in technically business together. I mean, it's yes, the show is Bravo, but there's a lot of things that go into it and press and contracts. And also if they were seeing her do things, if she was paying for things, like she could have easily paid for like a girl's trip with money that was stolen. Does that link them into it? If they are on the private jet that was stolen, like she is not thinking about the big picture. They didn't think that they were going to be at fault for like stealing money from the plane crash victims, but there's a lot of intricacies here. Okay. All of that aside, because of course that's accurate. It's like, even if they know in their hearts that not only did they not do anything, but that nothing could link them and that it's only in terms of the view of public perception, it's nothing legal. That's according to her, the same battle that she's fighting. So right. it's like, it, it just, I understood what she was saying, but it doesn't work when you're trying to make that same argument for yourself. Like if that's so true, then just cause you know the truth, why do you give a shit what anyone else says? You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. It's just, it's all very hypocritical. And Garcelle asking that question was exactly what we kept asking when they had the dinner at Kathy's. Like, how can you not see how we would just be curious to make sure and, you know, cross our T's, dot our I's? Garcelle brought it up at that dinner, too. And I think she was very in line with our thinking of, isn't that just human nature to wonder, okay, this is going on sort of close to me. How do I protect myself? That's it. I also thought that it was good when Andy brought up, you know, Teresa and just kind of alluded to some other fraud that we have seen on Housewives and how it basically hits different because the quote victims in those situations, it's like the IRS. These are like actual people that we have matched faces to that have the most horrific stories and you, your heart immediately goes out to them. And so I think one, that was an important distinction for him to make. I think that I very much understand the women's frustration for her not feeling like she could speak about them in that way. But I, I can't lie, even though we were the first to you know criticize her for that, I can't lie in saying that I have to imagine so much of that is legally motivated. Like we were saying, in some states, even the acknowledgement of their being victims could be seen as a confession. So I, I just, I'm, tr- I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt that her hands were tied in that way. But I think what's a little bit concerning is that the women never felt like she voiced that, which to me shows that even off camera, she never really voiced that. Right. And as much as she doesn't want to come right out and say like, you know, I feel awful for these victims. Like, I don't think we're ever going to get that from her purely from a legal thing, but also just because of the way she is and sort of how she's private about her feelings and doesn't want to make more of a spectacle. But also they were saying not just directly that, your Instagram post, like your overall aura of how you were acting just felt very just, I don't know, so 
tone deaf towards realizing that there's victims of plane crash and burn victims and orphans that are out there and you are still out here posting pictures on Instagram. And I know she says she had to pay the bills, but still like there was more than just that. I appreciated the way that all of the women kind of spoke to her about that. Like Kyle, Garcelle, even Rinna were like, can you understand why it comes across like that? And listen, I get it. If you're going through this situation where you have hundreds of thousands of dollars of legal bills, like you're going to do anything to pay them. I get it. You're not going to stop just because it may make you look worse to the Bravo fans. Like I fully get that. It was just, it was more so what I think I was looking for personally was like, okay, if you're going to do it, do it. I get making the money. Can you just at least acknowledge why it would come across like that? Because it's like the almost invincibility holier than now thing that I just don't think sits well. Yeah. And also I was happy that Rena even chimed in and said, yeah, it wasn't a good look because I think that's when you know, and she can defend Erica until the death, but there are certain things that you just can't argue. Yeah. what do you think about the confrontation between Crystal and Erica when she was like, of, you know, of course I'm angry at him basically. I think Crystal was a hundred percent warranted. I think the same exact thing. I feel like again, a lot of the narrative is like poor Erica and not this anger. You are allowed to be angry at him without, you know, admitting like no matter what we know pretty much that he did these things and you're not fighting on his team anymore. So I just want more anger, like from her, like Crystal says of, if this is true, I am so upset and my heart goes out to these people. And I, I don't know. I just feel like there wasn't enough anger from her. It's just who it just is who she is though. But Crystal was a hundred percent warranted of like, we are not feeling any of these emotions as much as you say it, we're not feeling it. Right. I think I, I think I, in that moment, like my inner self is like, oh my God, I fucking so agree with Crystal. Like what the fuck? And then I'm also like, okay, but if I want to say like everybody processes things differently, like why is it different for Erica? Of course she's fucking livid at him. Like, even if we want to say that she doesn't give a shit about any of these victims, like if we want to take the the harshest approach here, she's still pissed that she lost of her, her glam. She's still pissed of the superficial elements that we know factually she's pissed about, like on the most basic level. So like, I'm, I, I, I so agree with Crystal. And then I'm like, okay, well, let me check myself. Like, why am I expecting her to react in a certain way? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it's a very weird thing. And I feel like I don't know. Maybe people totally will disagree. And I think that they will. I, I kind of sometimes feel alone on this, but I, I was often at times I'm like, why do I feel so fucking entitled to say how she should express her anger? I wouldn't want someone doing that to me. But then I also think it's not really fair for Erica to flip out this way on Crystal and saying like, am I angry enough for you now? When they're all sort of there to discuss their feelings and the way that they were viewing things, Erica all of a sudden became again, very defensive whenever people were asking her certain things. Yeah. Oh no. The freak out on Crystal was completely unfair. And it was like, oh, okay. So you'll take that anger out on her. Like right. it's just, it, what she continues to do is just create this environment where like, it's so scary or not even scary, just like unpleasant to bring things up to her based on how she reacts. And I do respect the fact that she's willing to go there and it makes great TV. And she, listen, let's be honest. The season would not have been what it was without the way that she handled it, like good or bad. It's just, she's so she, I, I use this phrase a lot, but I, I really think it's like the Leah mob thing. She just lacks grace. Leah mob. <laughs> she, another good point to think about too, is her response to a lot of these questions were come to me, ask me, you could come ask me, you know, if you thought you were involved, come ask me that. Or if you had questions, you can come ask me. But then it's like, when you do come and quote, ask her or ask her anything about it, 
that's the attitude you're going to get. I mean, maybe if you catch her in a good moment or a vulnerable moment, you'll get more her opening up more, but who knows what you're going to get and how she'll react to any specific question given what's going on that day or what she thinks about the tone of your question. It's not like an open door policy and nobody's feeling that from her. So of course they're not going to come to her. Yeah, like I don't know if this is a fair term, but it was a little gaslighty to me. You yeah, know, like, like oh, you gas- could have just come and ask me. Right. It's like, please come ask me anything. Although the last time somebody did that, I fucking bit their head off and made them leave Kathy Hilton's house in a panic. Like, right. Like my door's always open, but I might bite your head off. Right. Like I may slam it on your face, but like I may not. So who knows? Right. Like you might as well try. Right. <laughs> Should we keep going? <laughs> Better luck next time. You <laughs> yeah, know, we could I, keep going. No, obviously we could. It was just wild. And I... I'm excited for the next part because I feel like if there were four parts, that means that the next one is definitely a fucking banger. But if I'm going to be honest with you, like no bullshit, I feel like this is so sacrilegious to say as a Beverly Hills fan, I'm more excited for Winter House. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. No, I'm really excited. I'm never mad when I'm, I don't feel like it's a chore yet. And sometimes after the reunions, I'm exhausted and I'm still excited for them every week because I feel like there's camaraderie around it where we're all excited. And this is like epic historical Housewives TV. But I do think it could have been done in three parts, but I'm glad it wasn't. Yes, exactly. <laughs> is, there, is there anything else you want to mention? Because we're then going to go to Potomac and Salt Lake City. I think that's it. Let's move on over. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the season's changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, they're washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Listen, realistically, this is not the type of episode, like we said earlier, that we're going to get into some lengthy discussions about. It was, I think, probably the worst of the season, correct? Yeah, I think so. And I'm not complaining about that. We, they've given us some real good content, and I understand sometimes things need to simmer down in order for the good ones to feel good. I get it. Yeah, and there needs to sometimes be a bridge between one good episode and another or a couple set of good episodes. So I get it. Listen, we always say this. We could watch them do anything. So if it means Karen Huger popping out of a cake, that's what I'm go- we're going to take. 
Well, it's so funny because before we had a Bravo podcast, I never cared if an episode was like good or bad. It could be the most uneventful thing in the world. And I still loved it just as much. But I think it's when I feel the pressure to have, you know, some sort of intelligent or like analytical discussion, there's not really much to analyze. That's when I feel it. But then I remind myself, everybody understands things ebb and flow. Not every episode is going to present itself with a great discussion point. Yeah. And I knew it was bad when my sister, who doesn't have to record a podcast, came in and said, nothing happened in Salt Lake City or Potomac this week. So (laughs) it made me feel a little bit better that you all understand that nothing happened. And we still loved every moment, but there's not really a lot to discuss. Totally. And also, we did a sound test before and it appear totally fine. But in case at any point you hear a very loud noise, it is because there is a straight up monsoon happening outside of my window and the thunder. Can you hear that thunder as well? It's out of control. Yeah, I hear it. It's okay. They're not giving us any relief. The East Coast is having a monsoon all week. So just pretend it's like that like sleepy time sound machine. Yes. (laughs) Is this the calm app? (laughs) Okay. So let's get into it. This is the crab boil. This is when Ashley and G kind of have this confrontation. It's it's rather uneventful. I mean, they move past it kind of quickly. I don't think it was great for her and Mia's situation, but it was nothing to really write home about. I just think he continues to get under her skin with the joking in the way that he jokes and like pretending he didn't remember it. And then she gives a dig to him and then Mia makes the dig about where's your husband. It just completely went to a place it didn't need to go. And... I think he was not understanding why the bus thing bothered her so much, but it just shouldn't have been touched at all, honestly. I thought we were over it, and I hope that it doesn't come back around again. Yeah. (laughs) The Karen and Ray invite, in theory, I wanted to be so excited because I understood the goal. Like, I really understood the vision. Yes. But God, those editors did them dirty, especially when Giselle opened it and they were dead. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like... Honestly, what Giselle said about how Karen feels like she needs to go over the top and be the grand dame, this invitation was just such a perfect example of Karen. Like the vision's there, the idea's there, and the execution is just like a little bit wonky, and that's okay. Right. It's a little bit subpar. And the thing that we always say is it gives us the content. How could we complain when we are getting blessed with dead butterfly content? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. I quickly want to touch on Mia and G's staycation situation because of really what it kind of brought up with her mom. And I thought to me, you know, maybe the most powerful moment of the episode was when she said she had to leave and get right back there because the idea of her mom leaving her children and them experiencing that same abandonment that she experienced at the hands of her mom was so triggering for her. I thought that really hit. Me too, especially because of how well it seemed to be going beforehand. So Mm -hmm. I was sad that that happened, but I also think she made the right choice for her family. I'm curious to see where their relationship stands today, like when we get them at the reunion. I think that it's a really good example of like, Everything aside, no matter how much she loves her mom, the safety and the emotional well-being of her children is always going to come first. And that's why, you know, when she's talking to Gene, he basically says, like, it's not that I'm unwilling to get to the place again where she can take care of them for an evening or whenever we're away, but right now I'm not comfortable. And I feel like that was an important boundary in a conversation they had. And Mia didn't get defensive when he said that because she felt the same way, I think. No, I think they both recognize that it's baby steps and that they'll get there. And I honestly really think it's so like brave and vulnerable to share this whole journey that they're on because I think a lot of people can relate or a lot of people are just, I don't know, interested to see stories like this. 
Totally. And I think rooting for her. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The conversation between Giselle and her daughters, I always appreciate these because it's hands down the most emotion we get from Giselle. It's the most, I think the clearest picture we get into what's going on in her brain. And they really call her on her shit, not in any sort of a mean-spirited way, but I just think it's like so deeply honest. And you can tell that the opinion of her children is the thing that sticks with her the most and the very thing that makes her want to engage in, in this thinking. Yeah, they are just made for TV almost. Like they are so comfortable just talking and being honest with Giselle, which I think is just a great life skill. But it makes for really good scenes because you get so much out of both of them, both the, her daughters and Giselle. Yeah, and I think that you know a lot of the criticism that Giselle gets in terms of being a little bit closed off is that in so many other scenes when she's filming with other housewives, she can create the dynamic. So she can create it. You know, I think back to that dinner when she went around basically questioning everyone. She has the ability to do that, but when she's with her kids, she can't do that. You know, she's the open book there, and they're kind of questioning her. And it's not that I want to see her in the hot seat, but I think that it's important not only for her but also for the audience to see that side of her. I think Giselle is like nervous when her daughters are grilling her on camera because the facade is down, like the jig is up. There's nothing she can just kind of be shady or snarky her way out of. Like they know the truth. Right. They know it and they know it better than anyone. Yeah. And also, by the way, they're not going to play off of a script. Like they're going to say what they want to say. And clearly they have the agreement with her that they can say whatever on camera. Oh my God. They are the most trustworthy narrator we have, honestly. Absolutely, because they are not doing one thing for her benefit. No way. Okay, Ashley and Michael. Oh my God, do we have to even go there? We have to, and I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying my best. Would you like to take the reins, or would you want me to try? I mean, there's not much to say except we're back in this position with Ashley where she feels like they're losing the intimacy in their relationship. I think she really struggles with balancing her attention and sort of priority of her children versus her husband and that balance. And she was trying to create some magic having the hotel this night, but it just feels so uncomfortable. Okay. Yes. The way that I feel about it is like, I obviously have never experienced exactly what she's going through, but I know so many women who have spoken about it. And, you know, we, it's something that we do see a lot also just in reality television, this idea of postpartum and getting back and like, quote, the groove sexually with your partner and yeah. all the feelings that come with that. Like I, I very much, even though I can't personally relate, I see what she's talking about. And I think it's very real, of course. The thing that upsets me about watching it is that I still feel like it's under the premise of catering to him. You know what I mean? And because of my dislike for him and because of what he's done to her in the past, that's what's upsetting for me to watch. Like I so, I so respect the desire to get that intimacy back with your partner at any time, whether it's postpartum or for any other reason. But I don't know, for some reason, maybe it's just the way that she's presenting it. It still comes across like his needs come first. And I, I can't get on board with that. And on top of all of that, it's not just the issue of intimacy and pleasing him. It's also dealing with the trust issues that they've created in their relationship and taking temperature checks of like, do I still trust my husband? Do I believe everything he's saying? And can I heal from all the things that he's put me through in the past? Right. And like, you know, it's also when you talk about this, I think it's a fine line to walk because 
a, a narrative that I really dislike is the one that like, well, you know, men are just always going to want sex more. It doesn't work like that. No, women are also, or can be very sexual beings. And, you know, a woman's sexual satisfaction is equally as important and needs to be attended to. But in her description of it, it's not that she's saying that she doesn't want it. She does want it, but kind of broaching the subject with him is clearly something that brings her a little bit of discomfort because of the way one, he has made her out to feel, but also because of, like you said, the trust issue. So there's just like a lot going on in her brain that I feel like in general, this may be a little bit of a difficult thing, but he, based on his past actions and just who he is in general, makes it more difficult for her. Absolutely. It's just all seriously a mess. Yeah, definitely something to consider, but I... (laughs) It's definitely something to consider, (laughs) although I don't really want to consider it anymore, if we're being honest. But Ashley in her skin-tight cheetah dress, but also white Birkenstocks is such a mood. It's such a mood. Everything about her. I think the thing for me, in my ideal world, I would never speak about him, but I feel like we have to if we want to really root for Ashley. It's like, well, this comes with a package. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Okay, let's go to Salt Lake City. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics Mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. I saw a meme, just very funny going off of Michael Darby, that said something like who I thought the villain was, who the real villain was. And it was Michael Darby on the left, Dewey on the right, which I do not subscribe to that. My feelings for Michael Darby still stand, but I can't express to you how not down I was for Dewey specifically in this scene. No, they caused a lot of talk this week, both of them. Jenny also had some drama with like holding another baby in Times Square. Did you see this whole thing go down? It was just not really their week. And I can see, honestly, her reading her Twitter this week, making her not want to do the show anymore. Oh, totally. Because I would imagine that her perspective is like, listen, you guys wanted me to show my life. I'm showing my life. I'm showing the struggles that we go through. And I know that criticism was a natural part of this, but the way that I saw at least was that they were getting ripped to shreds. Yeah, and I don't think she necessarily was getting ripped apart on the show, but her husband definitely was. I mean, I'm struggling here because of everything we said last week of like, of course, finding out about the death of their child and what he went through. And, you know, you feel for him so deeply, but I still will stand by what I said, which is like, I don't think it's an excuse to pressure her in this way. And also, you know, 
Not that I ever thought that it was cool to make that sister wife comment kind of off the cuff. And by that, I mean, if this is a lifestyle that you and your partner are comfortable with and have discussed, go for it. But like, she was blindsided by that. But again, to bring it up again after she voiced her upset, it was really not something that I thought was chill. No. And just his overall tone, like even put aside the content of what he's saying, it just feels really dismissive of her feelings. And she clearly has a lot of opinions and big feelings about this. So the whole thing is just, it's so sad and uncomfortable to watch. And then when you really think about this is their first, I don't know, fifth or sixth or seventh time filming on a show and this is what the conversation is, it's got to be tough. Okay. When he threw the book at her in terms of telling her that by Utah law, it is legal, that was his rebuttal. That was really what threw me over the edge because I was imagining myself in that situation. It's like, I am telling you from the deepest level of my soul that not only do I not want another child for all of the reasons that I have listed, it's traumatic, I don't want the responsibility, da 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 On top of that, I am so uncomfortable with the idea of a sister wife and your response to me is that technically it's legal? No, that is what I'm saying. It's the content is bad enough, but then it's also the delivery and the way in which he's trying to make his argument is just, it's really honestly so upsetting. And I just feel so bad for her. I hope the reverse of getting all this hate on Twitter is that people are giving her support, maybe who have been in similar situations or can relate to this in any way, or even people who can't. But it's just, it's weighing so heavy on her and you can feel it through the show. Yeah. And I think actually, you know, yes, what you said about the reverse, like maybe people with messages of support. But I think on top of that, sometimes the potentially most cathartic thing one can experience is having to watch themselves back. And so I do have hope that them watching these scenes back can maybe be a light bulb moment for both of them, either individually, but also, you know, as a couple of like, okay, this is not working for us the way that we're going about this. Right. Like it needs to be a mirror almost to reflect on how they're dealing with things. Although he really did not seem like he was interested at all in therapy or even hearing that anything may be wrong about his way of thinking. So I don't know how much different this will be. Every time I watch a scene like that, I really have to kind of, I don't know, control my reaction because I do very much understand that the concept of therapy, in addition to some people just not being down for it, it's also sometimes a cultural thing. You know, some people just feel as though there's something about the way that they were brought up that made them think that it was wrong. And I have a lot of, um, sensitivity to that. Cause I, I, you know, sometimes it's so deeply ingrained in you that you're not even consciously thinking about it, but that's just how you were brought up to feel. And also there's a lot that goes along with that in terms of like masculinity and sometimes the way that men were raised. Like there's so much I could go on a whole other situation on that, but it was upsetting for me when he basically said, nothing's wrong with me. I don't need to go to therapy. It's like, whoa, I wish I could sit down with you and tell you that that is so not how this shit goes. Like there's nothing wrong with you. It's actually the opposite. It's that you you care for yourself so much and you love yourself so much that you want to give yourself this gift. And I don't judge him for it. Like that's not me coming from any sort of a, of a judgmental or angry place. It was more so, God, I wish that you could see it in a different way because this could have such a beautiful impact on you and your family. Of course, but even just the mention of it or her expressing that maybe this will help us together him shooting it down was also really hard to see, especially after the whole conversation they just had. Right, right. Okay, so what do you want to get into next? Heather's party, Whitney tubing? 
Yeah, I mean, Heather's party is just funny because we saw the baby shower and now we see the first birthday. Very cute. Seeing the women together without Lisa, I think, was an important thing to see before we see the tubing day. Right, and also because this is when Whitney kind of recaps the night of Aubrey, the caterer, coming over to the table. Yes, and gives Angie a little bit of prep of like, here's what happened and here's how we approach the situation almost together. Right, right. For the tubing day, by the way, Mary getting the limo and she says, it's two hours. That's 60 minutes twice. Mandatory. I loved that line. She is so funny. Like she really got a lot of screen time this episode, but not just her by herself or her one-on-one. Her in the group scenes is so good. No, she's unlike anyone we've ever seen on Housewives. And I mean that as such a compliment. Yes, of course. I want to talk about Lisa for a second because when the producer asks her how she feels about Angie being there, and she says, listen, to me, she's invisible. Like I forgive and forget. And sometimes part of that forgetting process is I forget you. And what I kind of took away from that is, yes, that was, you know, this like funny one-liner, but I actually think that that's a really good window into the way that Lisa thinks about things. Like, Didn't her saying that give you a little bit more context to the way that she, or the lack thereof, that she's greeted Whitney in situations past? Completely. It just shows that that's kind of her way of dealing with things. Like, whatever, I don't need to think about it, block it out, put them in the back of my brain. I'm not wasting my energy instead of trying to make things better. And I also think she felt like it was a powerful, like, whatever, I'm too good for you thing to say of like, that doesn't even bother me. Right. It was very, I just thought telling because exactly, it was a reflection of the way that she handles other situations as well. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit thrown off by the Lisa Mary situation just because I really wasn't expecting it. And, you know, the comment made me wonder if there were other things that happened that weren't necessarily filmed or didn't make airtime. And maybe Mary had frustrations building up because I think to the audience, it seems like a rather benign comment. Okay, this is what it made me think. Lisa has just an air about her that is pretentious. And maybe we don't feel it as heavily through the screen. I mean, I know we can feel like it's there. But I think in general, people feel like her automatic is super judgy. And in that moment, even though she wasn't maybe saying something that would come across to us like it was rude or whatever, Mary could feel that because this is the exact thing that everyone else accuses of her all the time. This is what Whitney has said. This is what every single person says about her is that you think you're better, you're judgy, you have this like holier than thou attitude. And I think it just might come across without her noticing it or even meaning it. It's just like her way. So when Mary automatically felt that coming from her, I was like, honestly, it makes sense because that's what everybody says. No, totally. And that particular comment was upsetting to Mary, but I think you're absolutely right. It was, I'm sure, coupled by like a general aura that she was giving off that Mary, you know, was just honestly, probably subconsciously frustrated by. Yes, exactly. And felt like, why is she making it in that way? Truly, I think if someone else had made it, maybe in a different way, I don't know if it would have bothered Mary, or maybe there are other underlying issues, but something about that really ticked her off. And I get it. When she said in her confessional, it triggered me when Lisa says she has to Google what I say. But how about if I Google what she says? Because most of the time she's lying. <laughs> Amazing confessional line. No, her confessionals give us content. Life. 
And then when they get out of the car and they continue kind of this confrontation and Mary is saying, Elisa, I don't like the way that you speak. And she's basically saying like, talk to me like I'm a friend, not like I'm beneath you. You keep talking about Googling things that I say. Why? Because I'm black. And Lisa kind of gets into it. She apologizes. They have their back and forth. But in the midst of this discussion, this is when Jenny is like, everybody shut the fuck up. Let's have fun. And let's keep that in the back of our minds because that is what sparks the confrontation when they're having lunch. It was just high tensions. And when this is exactly when I had that thought at first, when Mary says, you know, you talk to me like you're beneath me. And I was like, hello, ding, ding, ding. We've heard this before. Like, this is literally the pattern that we see with Lisa Barlow. So I don't know. Maybe Lisa has made her feel like that in the past. And maybe something was actually making her question, like, why do you not like like me or trust me or think you're so below me? But I almost want to say to Mary, I hope you see that this is how she kind of treats everybody. Honestly, except Meredith or like we always say, the people that she deems, quote, worthy or quote above her in some way socially financially on the show whatever right i mean whitney was like the first one and heather were the first two to to make points very similar to mary so she definitely has back up in her corner yes okay so after the tubing when they're sitting down at lunch and angie and lisa kind of have this conversation do you think that this was really the first time that they spoke after the whole thing went down I couldn't tell. It felt very staged, not to use Whitney's word, but just of like, I don't know, Angie kind of reaching across the table and saying like, I've tried reaching out to you, you know, whatever. It just, I, but I don't think that they spoke. I don't think that they necessarily spoke either, but I think honestly, you saying stage made me think that was what it was about this episode. I felt like the entire thing was just a lot less natural than it normally is. Yeah, it felt like everyone was just trying to spark a conversation or a fight in a way. Right, right. And, you know, they kind of, I guess, like, quote, resolve it, whatever. I think that Lisa will never really look at her the same. But this is when Lisa freaks out, basically, of, like, I'm just being myself, and you guys don't like that, and I don't know what to do. And, like, on one hand, I so understand her frustration because I can imagine that that must be upsetting. At the same time, though, I think it's a really good moment for, like, a little bit of introspection and be like, okay, if I don't even think that I'm doing anything and my general presence slash personality is upsetting to people, maybe I can just look at that a little bit. Or maybe I shouldn't be friends with these people. I don't really know what you do at that point because... Lisa's frustration is that she can't necessarily pinpoint th- certain things that she does because they're n- all the time there isn't something to pinpoint. It's just her. So that's like a really hard pill to swallow. And I just think this was a little bit of a breaking point for her. And she really has to reevaluate it. I don't know. I do feel bad. But I think what I got the most out of this whole interaction was when she says, Jen and Meredith, do not say a fucking word which I would be pissed about too if these are the people I consider my best friends and if the tables were turned, she would probably say something. She would definitely cover up Meredith. And also Whitney interjecting to really cover up Angie when they've made so much progress together and Whitney had no problem coming in and sort of defending her and giving more of her side of the story. I never would have expected Whitney to not jump in, but I really can understand why she would be frustrated that Meredith didn't, even though, I mean, you know how I feel about Meredith. She's my favorite. I just think that there's, I don't know if this is fair, but I think that 
it's not as simple as Meredith doesn't want to fight someone else's battles. I think that she recognizes there's a smidgen of truth in what they're saying. Yes. And that she also, she doesn't want to get involved, but probably for good reason and doesn't feel like it's worth making a fight, especially with Angie, who I don't think she really knows. And Lisa and Angie have such a long friendship. It's it's just a lot. And by the way, I think in their eyes, it seems like a silly fight. And the other thing though, about like someone like Meredith or Jen intervening is that if you do that, yes, I know the goal is you're trying to support your friend, but in the process, you're invalidating every other person's feelings. Cause like you saying, well, she's not like that. She's not like that with me. That doesn't mean anything. No one's ever saying that she's like that with you. Yeah. It's so true. And then this was interesting when Jenny kind of blows up and she was explaining why Mary's comment was triggering to her. And she reveals that it's the anniversary of the death of her child. And she gets into that, which I so understood where she was coming from. The one thing that I will say is that, like Mary said in her confessional, you know, you're talking about me. You may as well talk to me. Yeah. I think Jenny was just in a lot of pain and didn't necessarily want it to feel all pointed at Mary over the issue. It was kind of like explaining to the group her her position and what she was feeling that day. And I really think after that, they they had a lot of sympathy for her and understanding why things went down that way. And I think even Mary did. Oh, no, I totally think so as well. I, you know, listen, it's a, as we said last week, it is a very vulnerable thing to share. And you could tell that she really needed to voice her emotions at that moment. And I will always commend someone for doing that. Yes. Is there anything else that we are missing from this episode? I think that's it this week. Yeah. Listen, they were a little bit underwhelming, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? We're still here. We'll always be here. We'll always be here. Okay. Well, we love you guys so much. We will see you next week. And like I always say, thank you for letting us do this. We feel incredibly fortunate and grateful. And it's just so much fun. Thank you.